0: Welcome to the Rhythms Podcast. I'm Brian Wise, the magazine's editor. In this episode, I'm talking to Tamara Saviano, noted music producer, author, and film director, about the new documentary on the life of Guy Clark, Without Getting Killed or Caught, which she directed with Paul Whitfield and which shares the title of her biography of Clark, published in 2016, the year that he passed away, at the age of 75. A legend of American songwriting, Guy Clark began his recording career in 1975 with the album Old Number One, which also featured the first recorded appearance of a young Steve Earle. And while Clark's commercial success was not huge, he was revered as a songwriter and achieved the awards and kudos of the Americana community later in his career. The 95-minute documentary traces Clark's career and his relationship with his wife, Susanna, who died in 2012, and their best friend, Towns Van Zant, who left us in 1997. The documentary utilises Susanna Clark's diaries, to which Tamara Saviano had exclusive access. They're read by Sissy Spacek. She also had access to Susanna Clark's audio recordings, some of which are also included. You can watch the documentary at its online screenings, which are coming up in April. And to get details, simply go to Without Getting Killed or That's Without Getting Killed or I hope you enjoy my conversation with Tamara Saviano and the music that I've included. Can we talk about just to start off with your friendship with Guy for you knew him for more than 18 years and you spent eight of those years working together on his biography and then the documentary so he must have had a profound impact on you as a person
1: oh yes he did I became a Guy fan when I was 14 years old so um you know uh He's been impacting my life for a long time. But yeah, I met Guy in 1998. I was the managing editor at Country Music Magazine at the time. And I'm I'm sure that it was because I was writing about him, but we really hit it off. And um, so we became friendly and I'd see him around town. The Nashville music community is really pretty small, so everybody knows everybody. And I'd see him around town and at parties and we'd go out to lunch together And then um, in the early 2000s, uh, in 2002, when they when Sugar Hill was releasing Guy's record, The Dark, they hired me to write all the media materials. So Mm -hmm. I spent time with Guy then getting those materials ready for the album release. And they threw a party at Americana that fall. And we went out to dinner. It was, you know, the sugar Hill staff and me and guy, we went out to dinner and guy and I sat next to each other. And then we went out on the town that night, we went down to 12th and Porter to see Jim Lauderdale. And, um, I tried to keep up with him by drinking everything he drank and smoking everything he smoked. And that didn't work out very well for me. Um, it was just another night for guy, but it took me two two weeks to recover. <laughs> um, and then in 2006, he hired me to be his publicist. And so I was his publicist for a few years until we started working on the book. And then I resigned as publicist. Um, and yeah, just went full on into writing the book, uh, spending you know three, four, five days a week at his house when he was home and then i did the tribute album which came out in 2012 and then the the film we started shooting guy on camera in 2014 and 2015 not knowing what the film was going to be but knowing that he wasn't going to be around very long and that we needed to get him on camera while we still had him so while we were doing those um shoots you know, he was so cooperative and generous with his time and kind. But I, you know, we just did not know what the film was going to be at that point.
0: I think that if there was anyone qualified to do a film about Guy Clark, it's you. There would be nobody more qualified, <laughs> I would think, with your name. Well, knowledge and
1: that's, that's how it ended up on my plate, actually. While I was working on the book... Um, in the spring of 2014, I I was really struggling to finish the book. It was hard. And another filmmaker had approached Guy about doing a documentary. And Guy said to me that he did not want to start over with someone new. Um, we had already spent all these years together on the book. So it was basically, if there was going to be a documentary, I had to do it or else there wasn't going to be one. So I, I did feel... Um, I know Guy would not have cared if there was a film about him or not, but I did feel sort of obligated at that time to take it on.
0: I think that your response to Guy's album, Old Number One, was probably the same as mine when I first heard it, when it came out. Uh, So I've been around for a while. It, It changed my opinion completely about country music.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Brian. Me too, for sure. I mean, that album still stands the test of time, you know, I'm sixty years old now. I was fourteen when I heard that album, and that album has not aged at all. It it stands now just as much as it did then. But
2: I'd play the red river valley, and he'd sit in the kitchen and cry, and run his fingers through seven days living. Wonder Lord, as ever well, I drill gone dry. With friends, me and this old man was like desperadoes waiting for a train. Like desperadoes waiting for a train. Drifter and a driller a boy wells and an old school man of the world He taught me how to drive his car and he's too drunk to and he'd wink and give me money for the girls and our lives was like some old Western movie, like Desperado's waiting for a train. Like Desperado's waiting for a train. And from the time that I could walk, he'd take me with him to a bar called The Green. Frog cafe, and there was old men with big guts and dominoes blind about their lives while they played. And I'm just a kid, but they all called inside. Kid was like desperado waiting for a train. Desperado is waiting for a train. And one day I looked up and he's pushing eighty, and has brown tobacco stains all down his chin. Well, I mean he's one of the heroes of this country. So why is he all dressed up like them old men, drinking beer and playing moon in 42, just like a desperado waiting for a train, like a desperado waiting for a train. And then a day before he died, I went to see him. And I was grown, and he was almost gone. So we just closed our eyes and dreamed us up a kitchen. And sang another verse to that old song. Jack, son of a bitch is coming. And we this rattle waiting for a train. Like this waiting for a train. Like this waiting for a train. Like this waiting for a train. Like
0: to a rhythms podcast i'm brian wise and i'm talking to tamara saviano director of the documentary without getting killed or caught let's talk about the the documentary the title comes from one of guys great songs maybe his greatest song i don't know l.a freeway which opens the film and um that cast on that album many of whom luckily enough are in the film they're, they're still around many yeah. of them And you were involved, as you mentioned, in the production of the film, the screenplay, and the direction. But the fascinating thing is that you also had access to Susanna Clark's diaries and and tapes. I'm just wondering how you got access to all that material.
1: Well, when Susanna died, Guy and I were really deep into working on the book in 2012. And two days after she died, I was over at Guy's house. And before I left... He said, hey, there's two boxes by the door that I put aside for you. And I looked inside the boxes and I said, well, what is this? And he said, those are Susanna's diaries. And they were written diaries and there were cassette tapes, regular size cassette tapes and mini cassette tapes. And so I asked Guy if he had read any of it or listened to any of it. And he said, no, but whatever is in there is Susanna's truth and you're welcome to it. So that was a pretty powerful and brave statement from him, right? Mm. Um, so I left with with those boxes. And while I was working on the book, I did go through Susanna's written diaries, and I, and I took from them to use in the book. But the audio diaries were just kind of intimidating to me. There were so many of them. There was probably somewhere between 16 and 20 tapes. And I put a couple of them on, but... Some of them were more garbled, you know, and I just, I didn't have it in me. I was so exhausted from doing the book. I just didn't have it in me to start listening to those tapes. So I didn't, I just put them aside. And then when Paul and I started working on the film, I realized that now I had to pull out those tapes and listen to them. So in the summer of 2017, every night after supper, Paul and I would put those tapes on, put a tape on, and he would digitize it as we listened to it. And I would take notes. Mm And they were just so mind-blowing, you know. And so by the end of that summer, it was just, you know, we we realized that we had struck gold.
0: The, they're amazing tapes and they're so personal. It's it's a little bit scary listening yeah. to them. Do you know what I mean? So, And you think, gee, I, I don't think I ever want to keep tapes like, like that.
1: <laughs> yeah, it makes you think twice, doesn't it? It's like, hmm, I wonder if I, I need to get rid of everything. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, I don't think Susanna ever meant for anybody to hear those takes. But I do think that she would be happy about the way that we use them. I think she would be happy that her story is being told because Guy and Towns were such big personalities. And I think her voice really got lost. Not in her small circles, you know, with Rodney and Steve and, and the artistic community, but in the larger world for sure. Susanna was not well known. Um, because Guy and Towns took up all the oxygen in the room. So I really was happy to have this opportunity to bring her forward and have her voice heard. And what better way to do that than through her own words?
0: Well, um, I I assume the tapes made you, hearing the tapes made you think you can tell the story with Susanna as kind of a narrator, but you got a bit of a coup by getting Sissy Spacek to uh, read them. Yes. Read, Read some of the diaries. extracts out too
1: yes and as it turns out Sissy and Susanna grew up a hundred miles apart in northeast Texas so as Rodney Crowell says Sissy has that same you know timber to her voice um so to me she you know Sissy came in the studio and she just became Susanna um And so, yeah, she was the perfect narrator. You know, we use Susanna's real voice in the tapes and then we use Sissy's voice. Um, She voices more of Susanna's written diaries um, and narrates moving the story along. And we had before I listened to those tapes, we had already decided that we were going to tell the story from Susanna's point of view. But then having those tapes just kind of solidified that.
0: It's a bit of a coup getting Sissy. Um, I, yeah. I imagine that she would have been quite keen to do it really given her background.
1: Yeah, she, Rodney Crowell produced um, an album on Sissy and on that album, Sissy recorded a Susanna Clark song. So really she was the perfect person for this job and, and uh, Rodney helped us get her and yeah, we're, we're thrilled, thrilled to have her as part of the project.
2: Pack up all your dishes Make note of all good wishes And say goodbye to the landlord for me But some bitches always bored me Throw out them L.A. papers And that moldy bags of vanilla wafers Adios to all this concrete gonna give me some dirt road back street. I can just get off of this LA freeway without getting killed a cop I'll be down a road and a cloud of smoke to some land I ain't bought, bought, bought and it's his to you old skinny Dennis the only one I think I will miss I can hear that old bass singing Sweet and low like a gift you're bringing Play it for me one more time now Got to give it all we can now I believe everything you're saying And just keep on, keep on playing I can just get off of this Kill the cop. Could I be down the road in a cloud of smoke to some land. I ain't bought, 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 and you put the pink card in the mailbox. Leave a key in the front door lock. They'll find it likely as not. I'm sure there's something we have forgot. Oh, Susanna. Don't you cry, baby. Love's a gift that's surely handmade. We got something to believe in. Don't you think it's time we're leaving? I can just get off of this LA freeway without getting killed or coming. i be down a road and a cloud of smoke to some land i ain't bought, bought bought if i can just get off of this l.a freeway without getting killed a car down a road in a cloud of smoke to some land i ain't bought so pack up all your dishes make note of all good wishes Say goodbye to the landlord for me. That son of bitches always bored me.
0: episode of the rhythms podcast we talked to Tamara Saviano the director of the Guy Clark documentary without getting killed or caught now probably the central part of the documentary and the lives of towns and Guy is their relationship with Susanna it's it's one of the more fascinating relationships I was going to say in music but in art in general isn't it like it's one of the great relationships
1: I think so but you know I've been obsessed with this story for a long time
0: (laughs) Can you, can you talk about that complex relationship? I mean, it's, sure. hard, it's hard to imagine how it worked.
1: Yeah. Well, as Susanna said, she and Guy were married. Guy and Towns were best friends and Susanna and Towns were soulmates. So, you know, they made it work because they wanted it to work and they all loved each other. And, you know, I think, you know, they came of age at a little bit of a different time. Um, You know, they were all in their 20s in the, you know, when the Summer of Love was happening in San Francisco. And so I think, you know, for them, for Guy, I think that Towns took some of the pressure off of Guy, so he didn't have to be the charming husband all the time. You know, Guy was a real pragmatic, practical, stoic West Texas hard ass, and Susanna and Towns had this more vulnerable, mystical side to them. And so I think you know Guy thought that all that was nonsense, and so he was happy that Towns was there to you know take care of that part of Susanna. So I don't know that. You know, who knows if there was ever jealousies or anything? I mean, there could have been, but I don't know. They made it work and they all, you know, they all loved each other. Every piece of evidence I have found in my research points to the fact that they all loved each other deeply.
0: Well, they were all fixated on songwriting, weren't weren't they? And both Guy and Town sort of wanted the approval of Susanna. And later on, others like Rodney and Steve Earle did as well. She must have had an incredibly magnetic personality
1: yes I mean I wasn't there when they were all young mm-hmm. but when I was interviewing all the other all the songwriters for my book guy you know Rodney Steve, all of them you know to a person they all told me how they were in love with Susanna and I think she was kind of an enigma to them as well. Um, And Susanna, you know, I didn't know Susanna until the year 2000 and she, you know, Towns had already died. So Susanna was on her downward slide, but she did have this magnetic presence about her. You know, when I would sit with her in her bedroom at her bedside and talk to her, um, I was enthralled with her, you know. The way she spoke and the story she told and her strength, you know, she used to tell me not to take any shit from any of those men, you know. And I think, you know, she had such a sad ending, a long, long, Mm. sad ending. And that's what I think a lot of people in recent years um that new guy you know at the end of his life just wrote her off as crazy and she wasn't crazy she was grieving you know and i I think part of me wanted to set that straight too that here was a, a strong magnetic talented you know successful woman undone by grief she was not crazy
0: You mentioned at the end of the film, it was it was 15 years. She was in bed for 15. Took to her bed and stayed there for 15 years. That's a long time to grieve.
1: Well, it is, but I think you know she became agoraphobic. She didn't like to leave the house, and you know she had never gotten over her sister's death. Her Mm -hmm. sister Bunny, who committed suicide, she had never gotten over that, and I think Towns' death just. You know, that was the end for her. And as Rodney says in the film, she decided that she was going to die slowly and that's what she wanted to do. And yeah, for somebody like me, I certainly cannot understand that. I don't, I can't relate to it. I would like to think that, you know, we all have grief in our lives, but that we work through it and we learn to live with the grief and and perhaps even our lives become richer because we don't take it for granted. Right. Mm. So it's, you know, to me, it is it's really sad that that is the path that Suzanne took that she decided to take or that you know her mental health took her to yeah it's it's sad it's a sad story and that's what guy says in the film too how sad it was because she was no longer productive after all these years of of making this wonderful art
0: that mm. must have been incredibly difficult for him as well as it's kind of not dealt with I mean you can only deal with so much in the film, but I'm just wondering how difficult it must have been for him.
1: yeah, it was it was hard on him and you know when he, he you know he was he was at the pinnacle of his career during these years. Mm. you know he really took off and he was traveling everywhere and on the road and having this great career and Susanna was home with caretakers. And I think Guy would have loved it much more if she had been out there with him, you know. So it was hard on him, absolutely. And I felt bad for, for Guy during those years um, that, you know, Susanna did, you know, give up.
3: Well, I'm building a house bold in heaven To save Holy seas, I'm building a houseboat in heaven, and it's welcome aboard, you sweet peace. Now the bow she is made of solid silver, and the hull she is made solid gold well she ain't much along the lines of floating but she's yours babe to have and to hold well I'm building a house bold in heaven to save Deep and holy seas, well I'm building a houseboat in heaven, and it's welcome aboard, you sweet peace. And I rode my old guitar to heaven. Oh, but heaven didn't feel too much like home. So I'm headed out onto them lonesome oceans. In my ruby-studded house, float to roam. Well, I'm building a houseboat in heaven. Sail in deep holy seas. Oh, I'm building a houseboat in heaven, and it's welcome aboard, you sweet bees.
0: Our guest is Tamara Saviano, director of the Guy Clark documentary Without Getting Killed or Caught. Well, the collection of musicians who interacted with Guy and Susanna and Towns—it um, was incredible—and it reminded me. I know this is drawing a very long bow, but it reminded me of the sort of literary scene somewhere like Paris in the in the twenties. You know, it was the kind of the country music equivalent of that in a way, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and Guy has said that many times, and Chris Christopherson has said that to me—that Nashville during the '70s was like Paris in the '20s. Mm-hmm. And I think they like that analogy. That's what they were going for, you know. Um, They had the salon and, uh, you know, yeah, what a beautiful time. And I, and I think, to some extent, that still exists, both in Nashville and in Austin, with artists gathering together. It may not seem as romantic now, because it's currently happening. And the 70s were, you know, are now history. But I think, you know, artist communities are really important to the creative process. And they had a, you know, pretty extraordinary artist community then.
0: Hmm. Because Steve does mention the salon when he's in the interview in the film, doesn't he?
1: Yeah. And Susanna called it a hippie poet salon. That was her (laughs) words for it. Yeah.
0: Now, Rodney Crowell poses the question and he kind of answers it. Why wasn't Guy Clark a big star in the country scene? Um, But he became a big star in what became the Americana movement and after Boats to Build and Dublin Blues, I didn't realise that the Americana as a label had been going for so long. I thought it was something relatively recent, but it dates back to the early 90s when I thought it was kind of alt country at that stage or called alt country, but I guess he didn't fit into that either.
1: Well, I think uh, in the 90s, you know, everybody was trying to figure out what to call it, right? Mm. But, the, but the first Americana radio chart that Gavin started was in 1995. Right. And they were then playing what had been called progressive country, alt country, Americana. And, I, you know, I wasn't at the meeting, but I've heard many times about this meeting um, when they were trying to figure out, how, you know, what to name it, what to name this radio chart. And they finally came up with Americana, and then the Americana Music Association in the states formed a few years later. Um, so now Guy had this platform, this this new radio genre, um, and a whole group of executives that were fighting to get space in record stores and you know f- club placements and festivals, and it became its own business outside of mainstream country music. And it did help Guy enormously, you know? And I I feel like I can speak Um, pretty confidently about that as I've been involved in Americana since the beginning. And it was, you know, he was happy to have that home.
0: Well, once he chose that, that coincided really with when what Rodney uh, Crow calls the guy choosing the path of a folk singer. And once he chose to do that, he was a lot happier, wasn't he? And he, and, and the whole thing sort of coincided with these huge acclaim and success, greater success.
1: Yeah. Yep. He, you know, he was a folk singer in the 60s in Houston, and he and Towns in the 60s just traveled around with their guitars and were, you know, played the coffee house circuit. And when he came to Nashville and started going in the studio and playing with full bands and drummers, you know, that wasn't him. It was never him. But he gave it a shot because... Why not, you know, he he really wanted to make his living as a songwriter and a performer. And so he gave it a shot and it took him years to decide that he needed to just go back to be a folk singer. And that's what worked for him because that's who he was. It suited him. Um, And I think, you know, the timing also worked out in that this americana movement was happening there were a lot of people from our generation and the next generation that really wanted to hear this roots-based music so it yeah it all just sort of came together the way it you know the way it the way it did
2: in Austin Mm -hmm. In the chili parlor bar Drinking mad dog margaritas And not caring where you are Here I sit in Dublin Mm -hmm. Just rolling cigarettes back and choking back to shakes with every breath so forgive me all my anger forgive me all my faults there's no need to forgive me for thinking what i thought i loved you from the get-go and i'll love you till i die i loved you on the spanish steps today you said goodbye Boy, it mm. works my middle name. If money was a reason, well, I would not be the same. I'll stand up and be counted. Mm. I'll face up to the truth. I'll walk away from trouble, but I can't walk away from you. So forgive me all my anger, forgive me all my faults There's no need to forgive me for thinking what I thought I loved you from the get-go and I'll love you till I die I loved you on the Spanish steps days, day said goodbye
0: So, Tamara, what are you hoping the documentary will achieve? Obviously, all Guy's fans are going to see it, what right. it but, but I imagine that you're hoping for something wider than that, that other people will get to see it and appreciate this immense songwriting talent, as as he's called in the documentary, one of the greatest American songwriters of all time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I hope that happens. My only goal is that more people become Guy Clark fans Um, I made the film primarily for me. Um, I wanted to tell this story. I told the exact story I wanted to tell and let the chips fall where they may. But I do hope that it finds a wider audience um, just so people can discover Guy and his music and Susanna and Towns. Mm. Um, But, you know, but mostly Guy. Guy is... My favorite songwriter. I worked with Chris Christofferson for many, many years, and and um, I still laugh. He would introduce me to people and say, "This is my friend Tamara. Guy Clark is her favorite songwriter," which is true. And I, you know, I think if I'm a Guy Clark fan, everybody should be a Guy Clark fan because I don't think that my musical sensibilities are any different than the average person, you know. Um, and I, I just think his songs are extraordinary, and I think you know, whoever would hear these songs would agree with me that they're extraordinary. So that's I, the goal.
0: Would I be right in suspecting that your two favourite songs are LA Freeway and Desperados Waiting for a Train?
1: Uh, no. I mean, no. I love them yeah. and it's and it's like kind of hard to pick. They're like my favourite children. But if I was forced to pick, um, She Ain't Going Nowhere and oh, Dublin Fair. Blues would be the two I would pick. It
0: was great to see Terry Allen involved, long-time hero of, of mine because he's (laughs) got an incredible story in himself isn't he
1: he does i think someone's already done Uh. a Terry documentary i think it's out there um and one you know another thing that's happened over the years Um, with me working on the book and the film, and especially when Guy was sick and and dying, is I've become so close to Guy's friends that um, to do that. Although I I may write a book about Rodney Crowell, not a full biography, but a book about him as a recording artist and songwriter and producer, you know, keep it, I wouldn't go back to his childhood the way I did with Guy, but I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about doing a lot of things. I don't have anything in stone.
0: Right. So. You'll be pleased to know that there is a huge fan base for Guy Clark in Australia. He's been here he was here several I can't remember how many times he toured here, but at least a couple of times. So I'm sure that people will be really eager to see this this film.
1: I hope so. Well, we we hope that some Australians will come to our virtual screenings. Yeah. And I've met, you know, many Australians that loved Guy, so
0: Well well thank you so much for spending the time with me. It's a terrific film.
1: Oh thank you. Thank you. I'm 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 glad to hear that. It's it seems like the the press the only people that have seen it so far are press people, but it seems like they like it and that bodes well for the future, I hope. Thank you, Brian.
0: Thanks. Bye.
2: Standing on the gone side of leaving. She found a thumb and stuck it in the breeze. She'll take anything that's going close to somewhere she can lay it down and live it like she'd please. But she ain't going nowhere. She's just leaving. She ain't She's not sitting down and crying on her suitcase She has no second thoughts by the road But she's got feelings that need some repairing And she did not give a damn That it showed. But she ain't going nowhere, she's just leaving. And she ain't going nowhere, she can't breathe. And she ain't going home, and that's for sure. And she ain't going home,
0: and that's for sure. She Ain't Going Nowhere from Guy Clark's classic album, Old Number One. And that was a selection of Tamara Saviano, co-director of the film Without Getting killed or caught about the life of Guy Clark and his music and we also heard Dublin Blues Heavenly Houseboat Blues written by Towns Van Zandt and Susanna Clark and a couple more tracks from Old Number One LA Freeway and Desperados Waiting for a Train I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tamara Saviana as I mentioned you can catch the film online by going to the website without getting killed or caught and finding out details there if you want to check out Rhythms magazine, you can do so at rhythms.com.au. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back next week with another Rhythms podcast.